Hey there folks, it's me, Michael Bach, your Diversity Dude, and this is Talking to Canadians. I love hearing people's stories. I'm fascinated by them. Everyone has a story, and I think they're all pretty interesting. And Marcella Liu is no exception. Today's guest on Talking to Canadians is a young executive with a diverse global experience. As the current president of BASF Canada, Marcella Liu leads a team that develops unique and innovative solutions to many of our current problems. Here's my conversation with Marcella Liu. Marcella Liu, welcome to Talking to Canadians. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, so, Marcella, you are a global executive, uh, currently the president of BASF Canada. Let's talk about it. Yeah, uh, it should be an interesting one. <laughs> Absolutely. So, first, I have to ask the question, BASF, uh, we don't say BASF, do we? No. Actually, some countries globally, they'll say BASF, yeah, uh, but it's Basf. really you're really supposed to say all the three or the, all the four letters, uh, the they four stand letters. for something. Yeah, exactly. And other than make tapes, what what does BASF do? Yeah, uh, fortunately, we don't make tapes anymore. Yeah, even though they are a cool invention. Uh, I'm showing you my age there. <laughs> old enough to remember cassette tapes. Exactly. So, uh, uh, of course, we got out of the that business uh, some while ago. Uh, uh, but now BASF is really one of the few uh, uh, very broad uh, um, chemical companies globally, yeah, and and it goes, uh, it has operations anywhere from oil and gas all the way to pharmaceuticals to uh, personal care, home care, nutrition, mining operations, uh, agriculture, oh. uh, all, all these businesses that actually we also do here in Canada as well, yeah. So it's very broad, uh, uh, and and it's very difficult for you. Uh, 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 to live uh, and not touch BSF almost on a daily basis. So uh, there is a customer of ours uh, called 3M, and I think it's known for its post-its. Yes. It, it, it has uh, a saying that you're never more than 10 feet away than uh, from a 3M product. And I, w- I always like to say, if that is true, then you're never more than five feet away from a BSF product because <laughs> we supply everything into uh, 3M. So uh, I, I think that's a that's an interesting fact that they bring up, and I and I like to almost use it uh, from time to time. Okay. Well, look, now I've I've learned something. Okay. So enough about them. Let's talk about you. Yes. <laughs> so you grew up in Brazil. Yes. And you moved to the U.S. at a young age. Tell us that story. What, tell us how that worked out. Yeah, this was, uh, I mean, Brazil uh, is still going through some uh, tough times, but uh, uh, it has its highs and lows. And it's particularly in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, uh, uh, it was just not a, a, a very safe place uh, above anything else. And the family decided uh, that uh, even though uh, my dad would continue working in Brazil. Uh, we would move to the U.S. for education purpose and and also getting uh, more opportunities for the family. So, um, my mother and my two sisters we we moved to the U.S. Uh, I was uh, 12 at the time, and uh, yeah, without knowing any English and really basic English, like uh, my name is Marcelo, the book is on the table kind of thing. Uh, and uh, um, my dad would come uh, every other weekend up. Uh, and that was how um, yeah, we moved. And, and they did it in a, 
in a, a very smart way. Um, uh, looking back, they they should be very glad that uh, there wasn't a rebellion because uh, um, the idea was that we come uh, to Disney or we went to Disney uh, um, for a family vacation, and then we never just we never went back. Yeah, so they uh, enticed the kids with a family <laughs> vacation to Disney. And then uh, said, no, 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 we are staying here and uh, your school starts in a couple of weeks uh, here in Florida, uh, uh, which, you know, uh, this was their way of doing it and ended up that I think uh, my sisters and I, we, we, we were open for the challenge. So it ended up all working out. That, that makes the Disney sound like the Hotel California, but that's how <laughs> I've always thought of Disney. You, you can enter, but no one leaves. Um, so what would you say are some of the cultural differences between Brazil and the U.S.? I mean, uh, um, especially if I look back at that uh, time, uh, what you would have uh, in Brazil, it's very family oriented. And not to say that in the U.S. Uh, you, you, you didn't have that, uh, uh, but for sure um, there um, on the weekend and even during the week, there was a lot of family activity. Yeah? And mm -hmm. when I moved to the U.S., uh, even uh, meeting some of my new friends, uh, you will sense that there is a more... Uh, core nucleus family that it was very tight, but uh, the extended family, which in Latin families usually uh, dominate the weekend and the afternoons, it was a lot more prominent. Um, also, uh, just uh, uh, um, a lot of things that we would ha have to develop six senses on safety and security. In the U.S., I mean, uh, uh, we left our doors open, windows open and in the evening. Uh, and, and this was something that you will, of course, never do. And, you know, so some of the people, when they started coming to our house after we made some friends, they, they would really uh, say, wow, do you really have to do all this kind of security? And we started, uh, you know, saying, OK, maybe here is a bit different. Uh, um, also that things work uh, uh, so not to say that things don't work in Brazil but you know uh, I, I was I remember the day that we hooked up the cable I was shocked that uh, uh, I was doing it because the little English that I uh, knew uh, I was the only one that spoke the little English my mom and my sisters didn't speak any and uh, I, I was trying to hook up cable uh, and uh, you know, in Brazil, you would ask, "Okay, let's uh, hook up the cable," and they say, "Okay, in two months you get it, the, the, it hooked <laughs> up." And I remember yeah. the guys like, "Okay, uh, just uh, tur turn on the TV and uh, hook it up to the wall, and you should have it in ten minutes." And I and I swear I thought he was uh, playing a trick on me, but it, it really works. Yeah. <laughs> so these are some of the things that I remember that it, it was very very different. Yeah, that things really work and it's efficient. Yeah. Uh, and over there it was uh, in Brazil is a bit more, uh, you know, this extended family uh, was uh, very important where uh, in the U.S. is a bit different. It's more the core family and but everything works. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you're you're a, a young man learning English. You're in Florida. What shaped you? Like how tell me about how you sort of grew into a man and how your life changed. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, I would say um, if I really look back and I try to understand how my my mind or 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 my the Marcelo really developed, and I think it was really a a uh, a crossroad there. Yeah, I could have gone one way or the other, and 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 the person that really influenced me very positively was my grandfather, my father's dad, 
who came to uh, live with us only a month, uh, a couple of months after we moved. And he really became more or less a second dad for me, uh, uh, where he started introducing a lot of uh, um, Asian discipline and, uh, and, and more of this Chinese kind of uh, uh, mentality, uh, you know, of respect, honor, uh, and, and all these things, and, and this really, um, and he was more. Uh, he was a writer. He he liked writing books and poems and things like this. Yeah, uh, uh, and 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 really, uh, I would say he he developed a sense of eternal curiosity in my mind. Mm. So I I didn't approach this move to the U.S. as oh look what you're doing to me. It's like wow, this is such a great opportunity to learn something new. Uh, uh, that I, I I will take advantage of this, and, and frankly, this has stayed with me until now. I'm always very curious of learning, you know, new cultures, uh, visiting new uh, cities, new provinces, new countries, uh, and, and really try to um, you know uh, uh, learn, but also adapt to the you know uh, to what is going on more locally. Yeah, so I, I, I'm able to have this more broader view of the world. But when I come to a, a local situation, I, I really try to bring in. Uh, uh, you know, that, that adaptation or agility to adapt uh, into what I'm doing. And, and always as a challenge, okay, now this is a nice new challenge. Let's move to this place or that place and, and, and take it as a curiosity test. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So let's talk a bit about your educational background. So you have a bachelor's in science in foreign service from Georgetown University in Washington. Yeah. W what is a bachelor of science in foreign service? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so this was also very interesting. I, and I remember discussions uh, and, and, and this is something that we have a bit less in, in Brazil. In Brazil, you need to actually apply, um, make a test to see which universities you pass uh, to get into. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and you don't decide what you're going to study. And in the US and Canada, you, you actually uh, can apply directly to the to the exact thing that you want to study. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, I remember having a discussion with my dad and my dad always said, well, all the big ec economists in Brazil go to University of Chicago uh, and wanted me to go there. And I, I did apply there, but I applied to other schools. And one that I specifically was uh, always having a bit of a, of a, a drive to is uh, going to D.C., because I liked the whole aspect of uh, being more international. And for me, D.C., Washington, D.C., was uh, the most international city I had been uh, um, until I went to university there and then started traveling a lot more. And one of the things, again, going back to this curiosity drive is uh, wanting to be a diplomat, yeah? uh, wanting mm -hmm. to work uh, in foreign service, uh, wanting yeah, to yeah. work in the public sector. So uh, I, I applied there as well. And even though I got to, to University of Chicago, I also got into Georgetown. And, and you, you can see where my decision was. I think my dad was uh, a little bit uh, disappointed on that decision, but I think today he's okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to hear he's gotten over it. <laughs> and did you did you ever work in the foreign service? Well, I did work. I ended up working at the World Bank, uh, uh, um, even while I was still in uh, at Georgetown, uh, and that would have uh, taken me to a foreign service type, uh, uh, how to say, career. Uh, and then, but then I I decided to have a taste of the private sector before going back there, and I never went back to public service, yeah, or foreign service. So I, I've been in in the private sector ever since I left the World Bank. 
uh, which uh, which uh, you know sometimes I always think, wow, uh, where where has uh, Marcelo been, yeah, or, or done? Because I never in my mind thought that I would be uh, uh, in a in a in a manufacturing industry type sector. I always thought that I would be more of a doing a foreign service or diplomacy stuff. Yeah. Mm, it's interesting. It's funny how uh, sometimes the path changes whether we wanted it to or not. Exactly. Yeah, it's about timing and about luck and about knowing people. Uh, uh, that that really shapes, uh, I think, how we make choices, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. We're going to take a break, but we'll be back with more Talking to Canadians. We're back with more of our conversation with Marcelo Liu. So, Marcelo, have you experienced, uh, you know, what would you say your experiences are uh, around diversity and inclusion around the world? Tell me what that's looked like for you. Yeah, this is uh, actually very interesting. And lately I've been having some discussions as we, of course, try to do a lot more uh, uh, that uh, on a corporate level, there is more and more discussions around this. But I really think that uh, uh, diversity and inclusion only came up to my mind as a concept uh, when I came into the corporate world, because Brazil is a multicultural uh, country mm-hmm. and people look very different depending on which regions you are in. And coming from Sao Paulo, uh, 20 million people in the metropolitan area, I mean, you see people from all corners of Brazil. Uh, then in the US, I also never really felt uh, uh, that, uh, you know, different, even though there's a lot of discussion now in the US on this. I, I, I never uh, felt that people are looking at me differently, even though I'm half Chinese, half Brazilian. Uh, never really had that. And then in the World Bank, I I started in a team of uh, five that grew to 12. Uh, and the, at one point, we had 12 people, but 12 different nationalities. So yeah. again, never really had that concept. And then when I got into the corporate world and, and really that started uh, having a lot more discussion, I I realized that, uh, you know, I, I assumed that things were fine and 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 that and I don't think it was even diversity what I really realized is inclusion is is really uh, uh, the bigger topic because once you figure out inclusion then you are automatically getting the diversity mm-hmm. yeah and, and this is I think the first time where uh, uh, I started understanding and, and then of course with my trips I started getting into situations that I really, was the most diverse person in the room uh, uh, and, and being noticed. Yeah, being in a country where I speak, uh, I don't speak the language, and how that makes uh, one feel. Yeah, even though I had that experience as a as a child, but never really got into that kind of a more uh, how to say philosophical way of thinking of what that me- really means. Uh, uh, so, so I think that that, that is really what. Uh, triggered uh, the, the whole um, concept of diversity. It was, it was really only very clear to me what that was and how important it is one, once I got into more of the, the corporate. Because before I always felt it was, it was the normal, yeah? And, and we know that that is not the case and there is a lot of shortcomings on, on how we do things and, and how we uh, build up teams and, and so forth. So you've been with BASF since 2006. You've worked in a, a few different countries for them. Tell me about your path to get to Canada. 
Yeah, so um, uh, my last project at the World Bank was uh, a, a very large project on import-export and looking at infrastructure to uh, logistic infrastructure in countries and how you could, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, reduce regulation so you can have uh, easier trade. And uh, when I when I got a bit tired of this public sector work, I said, okay, I want to go to a, a company that has very uh, big supply chains and that is having a lot of activity in Asia. Yeah. And because I had done an internship at BASF in, in one of my abroad time in, in Spain when I studied there, I, uh, I stayed connected and I reapplied there and, and, and basically got uh, called uh, um, uh, to join BASF. And, and and they kind of tricked me, right? So they tricked me into starting <laughs> into starting in Germany, not Asia, where I really wanted to start. And they said, "Well, come do a project for six months in the headquarter, and then you get to know the you know the company, which I which you know absolutely makes sense, and it still makes sense to me. And then you can go to Asia." But I I ended up staying a little bit over three years in in Germany, which uh, uh, you know looking back, it was the best thing that they could have uh, uh, done. And that I accepted to do. Uh, so you know, after six months, uh, they put me in another project, and then they gave me a very interesting role in uh, uh, procurement. Uh, I was a global lead buyer for some of the uh, basic materials that we buy uh, as raw materials for a lot of our value chains. Uh, um, you know, with a lot of uh, uh, operations in in different countries like uh, uh, Russia. Uh, um, uh, you know, the, the Baltic area uh, and also North Africa, which was very interesting. Uh, uh, and then uh, I, I continue pounding a little bit on the on the on the key saying, guys, uh, I really appreciate this time in Germany, but I really have something that I would like to do and experience uh, Asian markets. So finally, I, I got a call and and I will never forget this. I got a call from at that time, our board member in charge of uh, Asian business. And he, he comes up in the caller ID yeah? and I saw his name and I said, it's impossible, it's, it cannot be. So <laughs> I, I picked up the phone and he said, look, I've, I've heard that you wanna uh, um, go to Asia. I need to understand that better. You know, Are you able to meet? Uh, I'm leaving in 15 minutes. You need to come to my office now if you wanna have a discussion. So of course, <laughs> it was a very interesting run to his office. and. And uh, you know, we talked, and we did this two or three times, and I and I realized, you know, looking back, he was trying to get to know me, and uh, finally he said, "Look, I have one job which is interesting in the market, and another one which is to be my executive assistant." Yeah, and that was uh, also another turning point for me, where I was able to work very closely with a top executive of, of the company and really see all the operations mm -hmm. uh, that we were doing globally, but from Asia. So, so that's when I moved to Hong Kong from Germany and, uh, and there uh, doing this job for a little bit less than two, two years. Uh, and then um, uh, uh, worked uh, or, or was placed as a business management of a, a sizable business on the nylon side of things, yeah. So doing textile work, uh, packaging, as well as automotive, and and this uh, because these three industries are very basic industries, 
I had a lot of opportunity to travel to 12 different countries in Asia. So my business was regional and I uh, had teams spread out from different countries, all the way from Pakistan to Japan, down to Australia. Everything in between was, uh, 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 was the region that I covered. Uh, and then after that, they said, okay, you've done enough of the business management. Maybe we, we throw a curveball at you and why don't you uh, go to Canada and had the whole operations there? Yeah? And not only a specific business line, but even the functions and, you know, multiple businesses. So, so here I am today, yeah, uh, uh, having, having done this uh, loop. And had you ever been to Canada before that? This was very interesting. I, I actually accepted my uh, job in Canada, never setting foot in Canada. So my, my, my actual, my actual interview, uh, um, uh, was in New Jersey, uh, uh, for this, where our regional headquarter is. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, but I have to say Canada has such a great brand that I said, I don't have to go there. I, I would just accept. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I remember having this discussion with my wife and she says, "Wow, well, they're not going to even send you to Canada. I said, I, I don't think we need it. Yeah, we, we will enjoy it. I mean, Canada has such a great reputation of being a great place. I, I kind of did the decision blindly. Yeah? And, and have we lived up to that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and I, I think I will never forget Canada for multiple reasons, but I think I have a very good two reasons. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I, we, we had uh, a bit of a struggle for the first couple of years uh, since we got married to have kids. And we actually came to Canada saying, okay, we give up on this idea. It's not for us. Maybe we find another way. Uh, we had done treatments and everything. And I do not know what happened. It may be the good air and the good water, but we, we got two kids uh, uh, now uh, having been here uh, uh, three years and we cannot be any happier. Yeah, so we have two Canadians. We have two Canadians. Look at that, Marcelo. You're just like that is a a sales pitch for Canada. We're fertile. Yes, yes. You just come to Canada and you'll get pregnant. I I probably should be worried. But. <laughs> this is what I always tell people: be careful if you move and you're wanting to have kids. You should not drink too much of the water and breathe a lot of the air. Yeah, yeah. It's good to know. Good yeah. to know. All right. So you have worked all over the world. You're now in Canada. Why is DNI important? Diversity and inclusion important for you as a business leader? I mean, there there is the absolute obvious one, which a lot of times people, uh, uh, you know, try to explain in some other way. But for me, it's very obvious. Uh, uh, the it is a representation of the customers uh, that you're trying to service. And at the end, you need to have diversity inside so you can understand uh, the customers that you're addressing. Yeah? And this is not only our direct customers, because we are mostly a B2B company, but also the end consumer. Yeah? And, mm -hmm. and uh, now we talk a lot about purpose and all this. And, and I think people are, not, are just not going to be able to link to your purpose, link to your mission, if they think that they are not connected to it somehow in a personal level. Yeah. And for that to, to happen, they need to feel that their diversity, their individual uh, self is also somehow connected to the company. So that diversity element is very important. You know, when we show up at customers, we need to show up, at, you know, symbolizing that we are able to cater 
to uh, a large, broad sector of the customers, uh, uh, but also that we, you know, have, uh, you know, this diversity mindset that allows creativity that is not coming from one specific way of thinking. Yeah, uh, uh, things are changing very much, and we need to be able to change as fast and adapt. And and for that, we need people always throwing new ideas into the mix and, and having good discussions and good dialogue. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's, uh, let's talk a bit about millennials and ageism. Yes. So as a leader, as a, you know, president of a major corporation in Canada, what opportunities do you see for uh, collaboration between um, people with more years of service and experience and, and younger professionals well this is this is very interesting and i think very critical to be honest um mm -hmm. uh, uh, what you have is uh, 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 people with a lot of experience they have seen up and downs they have uh, they have uh, of course the experience of what has worked or not worked in the past but nonetheless, I, I think what is most, most important is not, uh, you know, the content of uh, what they have experienced. Of course, that's important, but also how to be, behave and how to uh, confront, you know, uh, uh, adversity. Uh, uh, and, and people with more experience, of course, they, they've seen more, they, they've been able to react, they've been able to learn. Uh, uh, that's one segment. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the millennials, I think, what they are bringing is a, a complete different level, different dimension of energy. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, something that I think it scares people. Uh, 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 but it, it is where how the world is functioning now. Uh, it's a lot of connectivity, a lot of information. Uh, we get things done quick. We, you know, this fail fast. I, I instead of say say fail fast, I say pivot fast. Yeah, yeah. we. Yeah. We want to avoid uh, failing, uh, 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 but but this is, uh, I think, what is uh, what is important. Now, uh, 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 this when you mix these two type of uh, 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 how to say a group of colleagues, uh, of course, there can be a lot of clashes by just what I described. But I think it's very complementary, and and if you're able to develop a culture that can use both of these and have them interact, I think this is very powerful. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of millennials, they feel, and uh, I, I hate to say it this way, it's not the best way to say it, but it's what coming to mind. This entitlement piece, uh, you know, I, I, oh, I, I need that promotion, I need to progress, I need to be doing this, which is great, because there has the hunger in there. Yeah. But at the same time, they, they don't have uh, yet some good checks and balances, meaning experiences where they know how to react. Sometimes they are asking for too much in a very short amount of period, and you have to develop a little bit of patience. And and being a millennial myself, I know that I am very impatient sometimes. But uh, but we we really need uh, you know these two things working together. And once you're able to have those two groups of colleagues click, and of course everybody that is in between click, I think you have a very good uh, formula for success. You have a company that is able to act fast, bring new ideas, be agile, but also have these checks and balances and say, okay, but from the past, let's maybe address it this way or that way. And if we're able to mix both, I think it, it is a good formula. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious about how some of your uh, life experiences um, inform the way you approach your 
your your life today. I'm thinking about you know, born in Brazil, uh, of uh, mixed ethnocultural heritage, grew up in in Florida, uh, worked in Germany, worked for the World Bank, worked in Hong Kong, Hong Kong now in Canada. So how does that all shape? your your perspective yeah and, and i think uh it is one of uh adaptability right so uh so it's uh, uh it's not uh there's iq there's eq and there's aq yeah yeah and i think there is a lot uh that i i'm proud to be known as a bit more adaptable yeah and 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 be able to function a bit in ambiguity uh, 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 that's a little bit where I think the world is coming more and more. Being able to have IQ is very important. EQ is also very important because especially when you're uh, managing colleagues or, or, or not managing, but leading and, and, and really trying to get everybody's buy-in, it's very important to have the EQ. Yeah. But uh, uh, to have, uh, I think, a mix of everything is really the AQ. And and uh, and change is something that we are never comfortable. Yeah, and once we develop some habit of how we work or what we do and how we do it, we usually don't like to change if it's working. And and the unfortunate thing is there is a lot of disruption that is uh, coming in from all sides. Yeah, be it society, be it uh, regulatory, be it comp- competitors. And I I think the uh, there is not a. a, a um, how to say, a, a set process that we say, oh, this is going to change, and after we change, we're done. Change is a continuum. Uh, and, and I think being able to adapt uh, and, and having th- these experiences of changes that I've had in life has allowed me to be a bit more adaptable, uh, a, a bit more open to uh, changes and challenges. Uh, so, so I think that is the richness of uh, having these kind of experiences. And you could have that, via international assignments, but you can have that with, uh, I know, changing uh, uh, some of the jobs you're doing or or regions that you are within a country. You do not necessarily need to have an international experience to to start developing this AQ uh, Mm -hmm, competency. mm -hmm. So what would you say to newcomers, to people who are, you know, transplants from other countries, what advice would you have for them, uh, particularly as it relates to becoming a leader? Yeah, uh, and, and I think uh, uh, all the people that I've met, especially here in Canada, I mean, Canada, what a wonderful country to welcome uh, uh, people from all over the world. And, and people come here very hungry. They want to learn. They want to be part of the, uh, the system. They want to contribute to the country. Uh, uh, and, and I think I go back uh, um, to something I mentioned right at the beginning is keep having that curiosity. And, and uh, I think curiosity is such a good word for uh, leaders. Yeah? It's just to be able to, you know, you get your assignment. It's one, two, three, four that you need to do. But sometimes you need to be asking, why is there not a number five? Why there's a not number six? And by the way, why is not a 2A or 2B variants uh, on something that I can do. So, uh, you know, be uh, challenging the system in a constructive way, have uh, curiosity Mm -hmm. uh, uh, that really uh, makes you come to work the next day and say, oh, I I can build on that. Yeah. And and not just do what is, you know, assigned to me. Uh, I think leaders that, that always keep that curiosity fire, 
they are able to really uh, show up uh, uh, and, and, and make impact a lot more. Mm-hmm. That's good advice. Why is the one I have? So <laughs> I hope it's yeah, I no, hope it's okay. It's good. You know, I always think about about. Um, I'm fascinated by the newcomer experience. I've I've worked in a couple of different countries myself, but that willingness to sort of just pick up your your life and move it across the planet, I think it takes a, a great deal of uh, courage and bravery and strength um, and uh, a real character. Um, uh, that I, I just have the utmost respect for it. So I, I appreciate that advice. Uh, I mean, this is very interesting because if you think about uh, now uh, corporate citizens or companies uh, in Canada, if it's a really Canadian company that has developed in Canada for many years, uh, uh, you, uh, there's a lot of discussion of the risk aversion of Canadian companies to go abroad and export. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Because it, it is... Uh, risky yeah you are having to ramp up production you're having to open an office in a place that you don't know it is risky and to the point that i think we were trying to make diversity once you start putting uh, people in your company that have just a different mindset they came here they took a risk they have that kind of uh, mentality they are the ones reshaping canadian companies saying no, let's now go outside. We are good enough to do this. Yeah, and a lot of times I think uh, there is a comfort to stay. Oh, let's just stay in Canada. We can kind of control uh, and be a bit more. It's okay if we're this size. But there is a lot of companies in Canada that need to be known to the outside. Mm-hmm. And I think diversity will be, uh, you know, th- this big power that allows companies to say, "No, I'm taking the risk. I think we have great stuff here that the no- the world needs to know about." Yeah. So, Marcelo, we always like to uh, wrap our conversations up by asking the same three questions of our guests. I call them the light and fluffy. Okay. But it's an opportunity just to get you to know you a little better. And and, uh, so here we go. So who are your heroes or heroines? Yeah, this is a good question. I mean, I, I mentioned my grandfather. I mean, for me, he he is a big hero. Um, my, my mom, of course, uh, she was the one that really uh, uh, was able to, uh, uh, you know, move with the family and and really uh, stay strong so that we can be where we are today. Yeah, uh, and, and my and my wife. I mean, my wife is uh, is for me uh, somebody that we've gone through a lot of experiences in life. Yeah, uh, 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 some tough ones. Uh, you know, to the reference the wanting to have kids, but then uh, she's so strong and uh, said, no, we, we will make it. Yeah, it's okay. We will do it. We will somehow uh, come on top. And, and she's always been there and always supported me. And, and I owe it a lot to her how uh, I am today as well. Yeah. Always good to mention the spouse. <laughs> yes, but it's, uh, it's, again, it's what I have. Yeah, uh, she is, she is that person. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so what is your biggest pet peeve? Oh, uh, um, for sure is, uh, people telling me that I, uh, that, uh, you know, uh, we've tried this before. It didn't work or, uh, uh, yes. I, 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 I don't think you are able to do this, or this is not allowed, uh, uh these kind of, uh, demotivating, uh, phrases. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there, there needs to always be one answer that needs to be given when people tell me uh, that I cannot do something, a very good explanation of why. 
Yeah. Yeah. If that can, and I think once people know the why, uh, then I think we can accept. Yeah. But sometimes there you just receive, you cannot do this, or we tried this before, it doesn't work. Well, world is changing. We we can always try it again and uh, with a little bit of a twist. So that's a, a bit of a pet peeve, especially in the work environment when people uh, bring these kind of arguments up. Yeah, I that one really gets me. Particularly people say to me, oh, you know, we did diversity and it didn't work out. Oh my. Yeah, <laughs> I think. <yeah. laughs> okay. well, uh, again, like it's an event, right? right? Exactly. That you just wear one. It's yeah. just, it, you know, we did it. And, uh, you know, my usual response to that is, well, did you do it right? Uh, you, that's a lot. I met with a lot of silence on that one. Uh, so last question, what is your happiest and or guiltiest pleasure? Happiest pleasure. I, I would say, you know, now with uh, two young kids, I, I don't have much time to exercise, but I, I did make a sizable investment in a, in a bike, uh, uh, a Peloton bike. So I don't know if I'm allowed to be doing advertisement, but it's a good bike. Sure, <laughs> and I and I look forward to amortizing every single cent that I spent there. Uh, and and the the guilty pleasure is being able to do a quick uh, uh, exercise to get all that pent up energy that I still have when I come home in that bike. Uh, uh, and also watch a good movie. Yeah. So this is usually, I, I'm usually highly interactive at work, highly interactive in the house, but I do need that one hour where, uh, or two hours that I'm alone. I, I really enjoy watching movies because that disconnects me to, uh, from the world and bring me to somewhere else and also do some good exercise to, you know, release whatever, uh, energy I have, you know, build up that is not released yet. You're so healthy. That is so healthy. I'm feeling so guilty about you being so healthy and me wanting to eat a chocolate cake. <laughs> I also have that, yeah. Uh, Excellent. And yeah, I eat I'm... white chocolate only, and that is uh, even more oh, sugary. Yes. yes, I love white chocolate. I'm uh, anything sugar, I'll put it in my mouth. <laughs> All right, so I want I want to thank you for being with us today. You you really have a an amazing story and. And uh, I'm so glad that Canada has been good to you and that you are equally good to it. So I want to say obrigado, uh, um, which is one of like two things I know how to say in Portuguese. Uh, so thank you for being with us today. No, de nada, and that's welcome. And uh, th thank you very much for the, for the opportunity and, and hopefully our listeners also enjoy it. Yeah, Fantastic. Thank you very much. The depth and breadth of the lived experience of Canadians never ceases to amaze me. Marcelo's path to becoming a Canadian executive is such a great example of that. Having grown up in Brazil, lived and went to school in the US, and now working in Canada, Marcelo brings a, a rich experience that contributes to Canada's position in a global marketplace. It's people like Marcelo that make Canada such an amazing place to call home. That's all for today's episode of Talking to Canadians. Thanks for listening, and thank you to my guest, Marcelo Lou, for sharing his story. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast through your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. If you enjoyed today's episode, feel free to give it a like. If you didn't, why did you listen all the way to the end? Connect with us through social media. We are at CCDI Social, and don't forget to stay up to date with everything CCDI does by visiting our website at ccdi.ca. Thanks again, and I'll be talking with you again soon, Canada.